Hello, my name is Dr. Frampton Gwinnett, and welcome to the Autism News Network podcast. We are joined today by an incredibly special guest, Dr. Daniel Moreno De Luca. Welcome, Dr. Moreno De Luca. Uh, hello, Frampton. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really great to be here. Yeah, this is really a unique opportunity, and you can follow, follow Dr. Moreno De Luca on Instagram, which is at Danny, D A N I dot Brun, B R U N N. And you can also follow him on Twitter, which is at D-M-O-R-E-N-O-D-E-L-U-C-A. That's at D Moreno De Luca. Um, of course, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Gwinnett. And uh, we can always uh, be found on theautismnewsnetwork.com. That's theautismnewsnetwork.com, where we have lots of great videos and podcasts and first-person accounts. So we hope you'll join us there. Um, so Dr. Moreno De Luca, thank you so much for being here. Um, you know, how are things, first of all, in your world? You're up in, in Rhode Island, and how are things in terms of the coronavirus, and how's everyone holding up? I think we're doing okay, all things considered. So uh, the governor has had a, a pretty good response, and we were early in trying to stay at home, um, and we have been doing a pretty good job in ramping up testing. So I think we're one of the states that has the highest rate of testing, so we're already starting to consider reopening uh, some some businesses on the hospital side of things uh, we got a couple of field hospitals ready which thankfully we haven't had to use uh, but things are standing yeah. by if we if it came to that i think of course the the general mood it has been pretty collaborative and supportive like it's been great to see how neighbors uh, stand up for and, and help out each other um, so, so that's been pretty good. And having said all of that, of course, this is a big deal for everyone and in all of the states and in all of the world, actually. Uh, so it's taking a toll to some degree on, on mental health of people, patients, providers, and the, the entire community. Uh, so we, in, in psychiatry, of course, we're trying to help people with that as well. Uh, but also trying to find the time to re-adapt uh, to this new reality, working from home, doing consults from home. Um, so, so that's been a change. Yeah, it's been a lot of change, as you said, and some people are um, going through very hard times. A lot of us are, and um, it's a very stressful time. And um, that's why your visit today is so, I think, uplifting, because you are um, a musician as well as a doctor, and you recently released a song that's very, I think, very uplifting and inspiring. It's called Outer Space. And uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, but just to give people some background, like, what is your day job? What's your specialty as a physician? Okay. So I am a physician. I'm a psychiatrist. And then I'm also a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And I spent the majority of my time working with people on the autism spectrum uh, and people with developmental disabilities um, and, and uh, different uh, other challenges. Uh, my time is spent between the clinic where I devote 25% of my time to outpatient clinical care and where we have a very special service called the Genetic Psychiatry Consultation Service where we see people with either autism or developmental disabilities who have had genetic testing and who had an abnormal genetic result. So then we can provide care uh, tailored to that specific genetic background. And then the other 75% of my time I spend on research uh, on autism genetics as well. Uh, so they're very close, my, my research and my clinical interests are very closely intertwined. Uh, 
which helps move the, the whole program forward. Yeah, exactly. And when people ask you why genetics is so important in the world of autism, like what's, what do you say? Mm-hmm. So I think autism is one of the uh, conditions with the highest uh, genetic component, meaning that we can identify uh, an underlying uh, genetic factor in about 30 to 40% of people with autism. So that that's a huge number. If we think about other types of tests that are done for other indications, to have a yield as high is, is pretty meaningful. And because of that, many professional societies, including the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Society of Human Genetics, and the American College of Medical Genetics, and a bunch of others, have recommended genetic testing, uh, and specifically two types of genetic testing called chromosomal microarray testing and fragile X testing, to be offered for everyone uh, that's on the autism spectrum. Now, I think the key point is that it should be offered uh, to people and not done, meaning that this has to be part of a joint discussion. And I think also an important part to highlight is that I'm in a clinic and I'm in a hospital and the people that I see who are on the autism spectrum tend to come to us, not because of autism spectrum, but because of other challenges, uh, either with mood or anxiety or even some some uh, different thought patterns. And that's what we're trying to help with. And that's, uh, uh, in my view, a little bit of a skewed population in the sense that there are many people on the autism spectrum who don't necessarily seek out uh, medical or mental health care because they might not need it at that point. Uh, so that's kind of my perspective. And to go back to the genetics piece, um, the idea is that we're able to use that genetic information uh, to help the um, uh, the clinical course of people who do come and, and seek our, our medical help. So we know that many of the genetic abnormalities that come up uh, or the genetic changes that come up uh, might be associated not only with autism, but with other medical findings. So it could be heart problems or things like that. And all of that is important information to keep in mind when we're thinking about uh, how to best help people who come to us uh, who are on the autism spectrum. Absolutely. And you mentioned 30 to 40% may have genetic um, reasons, you know, associated with their autism. And so if there, there's very likely a large number of people who have autism who are walking around unaware of the genetic differences that they may be carrying. Um, so that, therefore the testing could reach people who, and give them information about um you know, why they have autism or also like how likely it is to run in their family um, and be passed on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really key point uh, because, as you said, we, we tend to think about these uh, genetic changes being rare and they're actually called rare genetic changes. So the, the tests that we talked about will pick up rare genetic changes. The name rare comes from that from the low frequency in the general population. So each of the individual genetic uh, changes that we detect with this test has a very low frequency in the population. So that's way below 1% or actually the the most frequent one could be around 1%. Um, But then when you bring them all together, that's when they make up that 30 to 40%. Okay, Um, so I think it's important. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I was going to mention that I think it's important because if we think about it and if we think about other types of uh, medical conditions or of uh, mental health conditions uh, that are uh, occurring out there in the community, the frequency or, or the amount of people in the U.S. who have autism because of an underlying genetic change or an underlying rare genetic change is as large as the amount of people in the U.S. who have uh, HIV, for example. And that's a very conservative estimate. We know that autism and HIV have nothing to do to get, uh, between each other. Uh, right. But I'm just bringing that up so that we appreciate the impact on the on the public health side absolutely. of things. Absolutely. The size of the challenge. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you're doing a tremendous amount of great work in the field, um, and you've dedicated your life to serving um, individuals with autism and their family, and we're so grateful for your work. And taking a big pivot now, that's also inspired um, some of your recent musical output. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you're a musician as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm an amateur musician. I loved uh, playing music when I was in high school and then all throughout medical school. Um, so I, I, I love doing that. I had a couple of bands and we put out a, a couple of records and we got to do a little bit of touring around Colombia, which is my hometown. And then uh, we played several shows with my other band when I was back down in Atlanta for my uh, postdoctoral fellowship training. Uh, so it's something that's very yeah. close to my heart and it's a very nice venue to, to be able to talk about many things uh, that are important to me and hopefully important to some other people. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were a kid, what was the first instrument that you picked up? The guitar. Uh, I remember that my my mom had a guitar that was sort of stashed away in a closet somewhere. Um, And by the time I got it, it only had three strings, but I thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, So that's how I got started. And then little by little, I got my own guitar and then I moved on to the electric guitar. Um, and then it, it just kept on growing from there. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, so on your most recent recording, I noticed you played multiple instruments. So you played the vocals, the guitar, <laughs> bass, and some others? Yeah. Um, so it's been interesting because I'm more used to having a band and for us to be a lot of people together uh, playing the music. Yeah. But uh, this time around, it, it was a little bit challenging to get the the whole band together when I went back to, to Colombia. And I really wanted to record these songs. Uh, thankfully, like the string instruments, like the guitar and the bass are pretty similar. Um, so yeah. we, we gave that a shot. Uh, and I, I had a very close friend who's an awesome drummer and he helped out uh, with the drums. And then the production, which is like what specific sounds you want to look for in the guitar. Uh, we worked with the person who recorded some of our previous work um, and, and that came out really great. So it was a smallish team, uh, but with a lot of support and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and for the audience, you've got to hear this song, Outer Space, and it's by Bruin, the recording, um, B-R-U-N-N, correct? And, yes. And what's the origin of that uh, name for your band? 
Uh, so that, that's a great question, Dr. Brunette, because this is actually the first time that I sort of bring together both the medical side of things and the music side of things. Yeah. I tend to keep them apart a little bit. Um, yeah. And Brun is uh, like my pen name. It actually means Moreno, which is the first part of my half name in Icelandic. Okay. I love languages and I was learning Icelandic for a little bit and I felt that it had a nice ring to it. So I just used that, uh, but it's actually my last name. That is so cool. Um, and then this song, so tell the audience um, how Outer Space was inspired by uh, your experience working with patients with autism and their families. So this, this is a very special song for me. Uh, because as you as we just discussed i worked a lot uh, with people on the autism spectrum um, and i'm keenly aware of um, the challenges that they have when they come to see us knowing also that this is only a small uh, proportion of people on the autism spectrum many of them don't actually have to come and seek out mental health care but the ones that do I'm, i'm keenly aware of their challenges but then i'm also blown away by those stories and the strengths and the talents that many of our of, of the people who come to, to our clinic have. Um, and I really wanted uh, to express that from my own perspective, also very well acknowledging that no two people on the autism spectrum are alike and everyone has going to have their is going to have their own narrative. Uh, but I just wanted to put in a little bit of, of my perspective on that with a strong emphasis on sort of people going into the world of of people on the autism spectrum rather than trying to have people on the autism spectrum come to our world and to our so-called uh, normal. Uh, so kind of integrating those perspectives a little bit better and being able to appreciate things for, for what they are and the wonderful narrative that, that many people on the autism spectrum have. That is so great. I actually have goosebumps. I'm, you're going to have to take my word for it because I can't share the video this way. <laughs> that, that idea of bringing the world of, of autism, bringing that perspective to the masses versus the other way around. That's incredible. Um, yeah, the song, so it starts out kind of quietly, doesn't it? It was just the vocal kind of quiet. And then it really builds up into, a, I think, an exciting crescendo. Uh, was that by mm-hmm. design? It was, yes. So the, the lyrics, which I'm, I'm happy to, to share as well, they talk at, yeah. at first a little bit about the challenges and uh, how overwhelming things can be. And many of these things are sort of sensory stimuli. It could be bright bright lights or noises or things like that. So we're kind of going into into that world first. And then once we're there, it sort of opens up and it shows us all of the wonderful things that are there that could be considered by some people um, that are not on the autism spectrum as challenges, but that are actually part of the richness of those narratives. Uh, So then the song starts describing some of that. And then we, uh, we try to include many of the specific interests that many of the people on the spectrum uh, that I see have. So, for example, at the beginning, uh, I know that many of the people that I see love trains, and that's a big deal. So, I really wanted to include a train beat. So, the drums start slowly, and it sort of sounds like a train until they kick off. Yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to to emphasize a lot of that um, in in the chorus. So, once 
you you open up to that possibility, then you see the whole thing blossom, uh, hopefully really nice. Um, and I yeah. think one of the messages is, again, sort of trying to bring people into the world uh, of autism of the people that I that I know. So, for example, it doesn't have to be an entire color palette. It can be only red. So, if your thing, and that's one of the one of the lines in the chorus, actually. So, if your thing is the color red, then it's okay for everything to be red. You don't have to balance it out or to do anything like that. Uh, and it's okay to appreciate a lot of those interests, like outer space, and that's actually one of the uh, the main reason why I uh, chose the name for that song. Um, it yeah. can be any of those things and you can delve as deeply as you want into those particular interests and just appreciate them for how how cool they are um and i think it's very special also to know that there's a lot of diversity in in autism um so it's great to see that the those interests are going to blossom differently uh, depending on the person that's in front of you uh, so for some people, it could be an, an outer space is one of those. It, um, I was thinking of a patient that was really into into astrophysics, and he would just uh, get a uh, get a, yeah. a, a strong interest and then delve as deeply as possible into that. Uh, but then for some other people, it uh, either people who have uh, who are might not be verbal or who have uh, bigger challenges. It could be things as simple as building these amazing structures out of Legos or things like that. So I wanted to capture as much of that perspective in there. Uh, and that's kind of why, why the song has all of these crescendos and all, all of those pieces. Yeah, it's great. And as you're talking, I can really get the feeling that this song is about acceptance, you know, accepting who they are, accepting what they love, um, meeting them where they are. And really, that's so important for individuals on the spectrum and families to say, we accept you just how you are, and we're going to celebrate those differences. Um, and the song, I think, really reflects that. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you, you feel that way because it, the song actually doesn't say autism anywhere, which is by design as well, uh, because it is exactly about celebrating that uh, those differences. And it could be difference from many different uh, areas, even if it's a little bit redundant. Uh, but it's just highlighting how, how rich our lives are because of difference. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, you have, in, a different, in addition to the song and its lyrics, you've also created a written piece called what, What's Your Thing, right? Um, and yeah. tell me about that, that concept of like, what's your thing? Oh, okay. So that one is under, <laughs> under review still. So hopefully it, it will come out, uh, but we'll, we'll get it out there one way or another and without going into too much of the details that they don't really allow you to, to speak too much when you have a, a paper under review. Uh, this is a, an idea that I really like and it's actually one of my favorite pieces when I see someone on the autism spectrum on our clinic, which is, it, it's a very important question, like, what is your thing? And it can be one thing or it can be multiple things. Uh, and I thought it was such a nice way of getting to know more about the narrative uh, of people and families on the autism spectrum. And it's something that spans beyond the autism spectrum as well, that I think would be a great way 
of uh, emphasizing and supporting that we all have our thing. So it could be a very, for example, for me, it would be, um, I don't know, I love languages. So I really like the structure of different languages and I really like tube amplifiers. Uh, so for the guitar, just trying to figure out the tubes and how that works and the circuits and all that yeah. stuff. Uh, and many people have their thing. Uh, so that's one of my favorite questions to, to ask in the clinic. Uh, and I think it would be a really nice way of continuing to raise awareness that all of us have uh, our thing. Uh, and that it, it's, it, it would open a door to learn more about those narratives. Uh, and that's why I chose that. As, as the leading piece for, for that manuscript. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. That's great. And um, if you uh, could, could dream with me now, what would you dream for the impact of this song to be? Um, I think it's funny because this is the same way that I, that I felt with the songs from my previous bands, which is, just as a way of, of expressing some, some emotions and some thought, a personal way of, of putting that out there. Um, in, in an ideal world, I would love for people to, to feel identified with the song, which I try to do in the most respectful uh, way to, to honor the experiences of people on the autism spectrum. Uh, and if they wanted to use that uh, as a way of sort of asserting that it's okay for everyone to be the way that they are and to celebrate those differences and blasted when they're home or if that helped uh, carry forward uh, the message that difference is not only okay, but it's welcome and it, it, it's rich. Uh, and if, if we could get this to, to as many people who need it, uh, not only on the autism spectrum, but also from the uh, general population of people who don't have or who are not on the autism spectrum, so they appreciate that richness of stories. I think that would be wonderful. Absolutely. And one of the things that struck me about the recording is that this is this song is not like a light pop song. This is a song with lots of deep emotion, beautiful emotion, and it rocks out. Um, <laughs> and um, I I was so struck to think, gosh. The, the man who's singing this and recording this, he's a doctor, you know? <laughs> and, and I think it's so beautiful that you showed that side of yourself and then we're willing to share it with the world. It's, it's a great song. Mm, thank you so much. It's very kind of you to, to say that. Yeah, I was talking about the influences with one of our colleagues, Dr. Rebecca Muley, and as well as some of our Autism News Network team members. And we, were, we the, the concept of shoegazers came up and one of my participants said, What's a shoegazer? So, Dr. Moreno DeLuca, what is a shoegazer? So, shoegazer is someone who looks at their shoes a lot, pretty much. That's where the term came from. But it's this sort of mm, music uh, style, heavily rooted in the 90s, where I think the best way to describe it is that you're faced with a wall of guitars. So, it's all about yeah. texture of the sound rather than a specific melody. So it just sort of slaps you in the face and this, this massive amount of guitars that just in, uh, uh, 
wrap around you and they submerge you into the song. Uh, and the, the reason why the shoegaze term came about, I think, I guess there's a lot of theories, but was because there's a lot of emotion in that music. But then when people would go to the concerts, they would just put their head down and just hang out there looking at their shoes while this super powerful, heavy music was was around them. So I thought that, that was a cool a cool term that yeah. they came up with. That You described it perfectly. I went to see, I was a huge shoegazer fan. I went and saw, the loudest concert I ever saw was My, my Bloody Valentine. And mm-hmm. I mean, my ears, I think my ears were bleeding after that show. It, it was the loudest thing for 17 minutes. In fact, they just played this one note for 17 minutes and it was so incredibly loud. But it was so emotional and so cool. So it, it really brought me back when I listened to your song. But also it's very modern too and it's very accessible, I think, what you recorded. So well done. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope uh, people like it. Yeah, I know they will. Um, so yeah, I was going to, um, to, to kind of follow up on that question. Who are some of your favorite musicians? Music is so special to me that I have so many favorites. Um, I know that one of my my biggest influences has been Smashing Pumpkins all throughout the years. I remember buying their first records and just seeing how they evolve. Um, but then I also started to get a lot into the punk rock side of things. And that was a big scene back in Colombia when we started having that uh, a band. So there were bands like uh, Taking Back Sunday or MXPX, which are just full of energy, upbeat, and they just make you start moving. Talk about behavioral activation, just play one of those records and (laughs) you will be all set. Um, And I really like uh, some of the newer newer (laughs) bands, which I guess are a decade old already, Um, but there are uh, bands like American Football um, that are I think they would sort of fall under the math rock uh, space, which is uh, a little bit more, um, let's say that they keep your mind and your ears really active because there's these changes that you don't really expect or different rhythms, but it's also full of guitars. I really like uh, like uh, a lot of guitars and heavily layered guitars and a lot of distortion. Dinosaur Jr. as a shoegaze fan myself is oh, one of cool. my favorite bands yeah. too. Um, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but did you ever listen to a band called Ride? Oh yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, lots of layers to that also. Um, yeah, and you've lived all over the world, haven't you? I have, yeah. Yeah, what I, are some of your favorite places that you've lived? And tell, tell the audience about you know, your experiences. So I was born and raised in Colombia, and I stayed in Colombia for the longest time until I finished medical school. Uh, And then I knew that I wanted to travel the world and I hadn't gotten too much of a chance to do that. Uh, Also, as you might tell, my last name is really long, Moreno de Luca. Uh, It's actually two last names because we used two last names back home in in Colombia. Uh, And de Luca is an Italian last name. So I felt I have an Italian passport as well and I'm Italian by heritage. So I felt sort of compelled to go to Italy and try to reconnect with those roots that I hadn't known in person before. Uh, so I went to, to Italy for a short fellowship. I always find it that there's always a good academic excuse to go places. And it's one of the nice things about being in academia. Uh, so I went to, to Bologna in Italy for a couple of months for a short fellowship. And that was wonderful. 
Um, I learned yeah. the language, as I mentioned, it's one of my one of my things. Uh, yeah. So Italian is pretty similar to Spanish in pronunciation and the structure of the language. And I really wanted to, yeah. to reconnect with that. So I delved deeply into, into Italian courses and I learned it and I sort of perfected it there. And there was such great food and people and the, the rhythm of life was very different. Like um, seeing all the architecture and all that richness in history was wonderful. Um, yeah. And then, I'm, I'm sorry? No, go ahead. Uh, and then at that point, uh, I also wanted to continue. Like I, I got built, bit by the travel bug, let's put it that way. Um, and then I've always wanted to go to, to France and to Paris. Uh, and I went there, I, I started looking and seeing, uh, looking at opportunities. And I went there for my master's in neuroscience. So I spent uh, a little under two years in Paris uh, at the Sorbonne, at one of the branches of the Sorbonne, which is the, the medical side, Pierre and Marie Curie. Um, and that was wonderful. Like the main campus of the university was by the Seine River. And you could see the entire river and Notre Dame from the lab, which was amazing. So there I also had a chance to learn a new language, um, which I really enjoyed. But then to, to get to see that culture and Paris is probably my favorite city in the world. I, I really, really like that city. Uh, and it was a great experience being there. And then ultimately I knew that I wanted to to uh, do my uh, specialty training in psychiatry here in the US and in genetics. So I came to Atlanta for a postdoctoral fellowship and uh, that was also really, really great. I, I, I hadn't been too much uh, in the southern part of the US and I have an uncle and an aunt that live in Atlanta. So I got exposed to really good food. I think that's a recurring theme, like some of the best barbecues and then people were really nice and open. Uh, yeah. And then from there, I sort of started going going up uh, in the in the country here in the U.S. So I went to New Haven for for my residency in psychiatry to Yale, um, and that was great as well because it gave me a, a sense of uh, being back a little bit of the feeling of being back in a city where you can live in downtown and walk everywhere, and that was that was really great, and I loved my time there. And now I'm in Providence, which, again, it's sort of reminiscent of some of the European cities with a river in the middle, which I, I like the blend of those of those different yeah. flavors. And I came here for my training and I stayed since then. Yeah, I mean, just an incredible wealth of experiences and that geographic diversity. You've lived in multiple countries and spent time there. And then so you have uh, you're fluent in Spanish, Italian, French, English. Any others that you're working on? <laughs> I was learning Icelandic. I'm nowhere even remotely close to being fluent. Uh, yeah. But they had this special program at Yale when I was doing my residency for sort of rare languages. So they would put yeah. together people who wanted to learn the same language. And it was, yeah. I think, three of us in the entire university. And they would pair you up with a native Icelandic speaker or a native speaker of the language that you're interested in. So I took wow. that for a good semester, uh, and it was a great way of getting re-exposed to, to Icelandic. I, I had the uh, privilege of being there initially for a uh, collaboration that we had with the Code Genetics, which is one of the largest genetics groups, uh, and they're doing a remarkable job in, in Iceland. Um, and then yeah. we went back 
with my wife for vacation and we drove around the entire uh, country and it was fantastic it, it's like being in a different planet uh, and I'm yeah. very drawn to to the culture there and to the landscape and to the language I, I really like the feeling of not understanding a single word and then starting to understand them and starting having those things make sense as you delve deeply more deeply into the language and, and not only the actual words but the the way that people express themselves and the the different ways weights that they put on different either words or expressions so for example in Icelandic I think there's more than 10 word, ways that you can say snow and of course in Colombia I mean yeah. we have one and that's it we, yeah. we don't have too much snow exactly. uh, so just seeing how the language tells you so much about uh, the culture of a place I, I really like that yeah oh absolutely um, so that's great that you're working on a fifth language um, <laughs> cool so just as we wrap up here I was going to ask you um, what your dream would be for what our medical field can deliver for individuals with autism and their families in the next so many years? So I am a big fan of precision medicine. Uh, and this has been gathering a lot of attention recently. And this pretty much says that, uh, that in a nutshell, that you can personalize treatment very significantly based on the conditions that make you unique. And a, a very big piece of that is going to be genetics. Uh, so I think I want to start with the disclaimer that with what we've mentioned before, which is that not everyone on the autism spectrum ends up seeking either medical or mental health care. So these perspectives are specifically for people who seek us out. Um, and in that sense, I would love for us to be able to offer the genetic testing and have those discussions with the families, knowing that the families are the ones who call the shots and who will ultimately decide whether this is right for them uh, or not. But this, uh, this, uh, in spite of those medical recommendations, uh, the genetic testing is only happening, at least in our state, in a recent study that we did, only at, at a frequency of 3%. So we have a 97% gap to fill to offer those tests. We know that from other papers that have been published before, the vast majority of people who are offered genetic testing actually uh, carry, carry out uh, that genetic testing uh, and that the feelings are, if there's data that can help my medical uh, conditions, then I would definitely want to use that data. Uh, so in an ideal world, I'd love for this to be offered to all of the people who come and seek out medical uh, care and mental health care, and then for us to be able to develop specific interventions, which I like to call actionable interventions based on those genetics results. So for example, taking uh, one of the persons on the spectrum that, that comes to our clinic, of course, without providing any, any details, but as, as a general idea, let's say that someone came in and they were having a lot of difficulties with uh, maybe uh, seeing things that are not there or hearing voices or things like that, which some people uh, might experience. And then we know that there are some medications that work really well for that, uh, but that might impact, for example, the, how quickly the heart beats. Um, and then we know that there's a lot of genetic conditions that are also associated with heart 
uh, changes or the, uh, different shapes of the heart or a vessel that's not going exactly at the, to the place that, that it is supposed to go. And we know that many of those heart conditions might not yet have been discovered. So if we see someone, let's say, on the autism spectrum who's seeking out care for us, we do the testing, we identify a genetic change that's associated with heart abnormalities, then we're able to test that person for those heart abnormalities before even starting to consider using any medications that might impart, impact how the heart works. And so again, nothing, a little bit of a... Yeah, there's nothing more important than that. You know, if you can get information about their heart that they would not have had, I mean, that's incredibly important. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things that that goes a little bit un, uh, unrecognized is the impact that genetics has on genetic testing has on families so we know that two of the main things are that one it puts an end to the diagnostic odyssey that many families face when the results come back with an explanation so in in many families they have to go through muscle biopsies and this very intense testing and from hospital to hospital just knowing that there's something that's going on because uh, their family members might, or, or they themselves might not only have uh, be on the autism spectrum, but also have uh, other medical conditions. And then just knowing that there's a, a central reason why all of this is happening is incredibly relieving for a lot of families. And the other one uh, that, I, that I like to emphasize a lot is that it's sort of like a secret key and you all of a sudden have access to a door that you didn't even know was there before. So it turns out that we're talking about a lot of rare genetic changes, but the world is a big place. And like we're doing right now, we're very well connected. There's internet. So it, many families find support groups of other people who have the same rare genetic uh, change, and then they can get connected. They know a little bit more what to expect. They can be tremendous sources of support for the families especially uh, because even their doctors might not know too much about this because these are rare genetic changes. So those are two of the, of the benefits that I think come from, from having that genetic information available, um, which are simple in, in quote marks, but extremely helpful and extremely powerful. And the other piece that I wanted to emphasize really quickly because we're on the subject is that we are talking, there's, a lot of different genetic testing uh, mechanisms and ways of getting genetic testing. And we are talking specifically and exclusively about something called diagnostic genetic testing. This is something that you get done through a clinical lab where your doctor sends out a genetic test and you have to wait a little bit to get those results. This is not what we call direct-to-consumer genetic testing, which is where you just uh, buy something at Target and then you send it out to a company and then they come back to you. And that's a different type of test that looks for common genetic changes and not the rare genetic changes that we've been talking about. And it is also not pharmacogenetic testing, which is some testing that people have done to see how well they might uh, respond to some medications. Um, I think on, on that end, the, the promise of pharmacogenetic testing is really good, but we're still trying to get to build up the evidence to make that really clinically useful. So this is a very specific type of genetic testing, and I just wanted to drive that whole, uh, point home. Oh, absolutely. That's a key distinction. 
And it, it brought to mind for me the Spark study. And I'm one of the you know co-investigators at our Charleston site for Spark. Um, can you tell the audience a little bit about what Spark for Autism is and what the overall you know concept? Sure. Uh, so Spark is an initiative by the Simons Foundation, uh, which is a, a philanthropy foundation that has done remarkable uh, work in boosting the science around autism and specifically around autism genetics. And the goal for Spark is to bring together one of the largest uh, groups of people with autism in the world to try to understand a little bit better uh, their phenotype, which is uh, their uh, sort of clinical features, which is to say that the, the, the way that uh, people behave or any medical conditions that they might have. We all have a phenotype, so it's not specific to people uh, on the autism spectrum, but it's just a way of describing our own, our own features, both uh, in, from a behavioral side and from a medical side, and then couple that with genetic testing at the highest level. So they do a very detailed type of genetic test, which is called exome sequencing, which pretty much looks at all of the genes in the entire genome, all of the coding sequences. Uh, so if it were a book, they're reading every one of the words uh, in the book. They're not looking at the blank spaces between the words, but they're looking at all of the words. Uh, and the idea is that uh, as we have an, a very large data set, we might be able to understand uh, some lessons that are very difficult to understand on smaller studies. Yeah, that is such a great explanation. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, really cool how that study has brought um, this genetic testing to Main Street USA, where they're trying to uh, reach people in small towns who maybe can't get to academic centers and you know they can do testing online. And um, I hope that it will um, lead to some great discoveries and treatment options uh, for for patients. Um, Me um, too. I'm, I just but, wanted to get one piece in, which is one of the nice things about the Spark study, as I understand it, knowing that I'm not directly involved as one of uh, one of the organizers of the study, is that they're doing the testing under clinical conditions. We know that you have research testing on one side, and then you have clinical diagnostic genetic testing where the standards are really high. You have to do a really, really thorough job and confirm everything to be able to report something clinically. And they started the test with those very high standards, uh, meaning that this is information that could potentially go uh, into the medical records and that could be clinically useful now, which is one of the things that I'm the most excited about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so we are um, very fortunate today. Um, our audience has heard from Dr. Daniel Moreno de Luca. Um, and Dr. Moreno de Luca is um, uh, both a scientist and a clinician. So, for, for our audience, all doctors are not scientists, okay? And all scientists are not doctors. But Dr. Moreno de Luca is both. So, he's a master in the field of um, autism spectrum disorder and other developmental disabilities. And he's also a master geneticist. And he publishes um, extensively in this area. He's also a, um, a master of languages. And I think we heard that during our interview today because he has a way of distilling down very scientific information in a way that uh, can be understood in the common language. Um, and then he's also in infused his musicianship 
um, into his work, um, and he has a heart for for individuals um, that he works with, and we saw that. Um, and if you want to see more of Dr. Marino DeLuca's heart, you need to listen to the song Outer Space and the EP that it's on. Um, Dr. Marino DeLuca, where can people find this music? So it's going to be available starting May 1st on all of the main platforms, so Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Tidal, uh, and many others. Uh, so we, we try to make it as widely available as possible. Yeah, so that is, we're recording April 30th. So by the time you see and hear this podcast, we can officially say it is out now. So definitely check it out. Um, we uh, will we will include some of the music um, in uh, this audio stream. Um, so Dr. Marina DeLuca, I cannot thank you enough for taking your time. I know you're super busy, but I feel like this is going to have a huge impact, not only um, this song that you recorded, but also um, the accompanying um manuscript that's in process and also i hope that this podcast will reach many many people so that they can um, bring the world of autism to the masses thank you so much dr Greenett, for this invitation i really enjoyed talking about this and i really appreciate having a, a space to to talk about these very different things it's actually the first time that i put the two together uh, so it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you about that today yeah well, you and music and autism is like peanut butter and chocolate. Just a beautiful combination. <laughs> so, yeah, so thank you. Let me give everybody the, uh, the social media handles for Dr. Moreno DeLuca. You can reach him on his official Twitter handle, which is at D Moreno, M-O-R-E-N-O DeLuca, D-E-L-U-C-A. That's no spaces, D-M-O-R-E-N-O-D-E. L-U-C-A. So look him up on Twitter. You can also find him on Instagram, which is at Danny, D-A-N-I dot Brun, B-R-U-N-N. And um, please check out the autismnewsnetwork.com. You can follow me, Dr. Gwinnett, on Instagram and Twitter, which is at Dr. Gwinnett. And we look forward to visiting with you in our next podcast. For now, have a great day. Stay here this time.